trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table Again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people Working on important issues Here in Columbus and all around Ohio I'm Carolyn Harding And today I'm talking with Craig Ness And Stephanie Passamonte Bike Lane Advocates In the Columbus Metro region Craig Ness is a transit advocate who resides in Bexley, Ohio. He has been a member of the Bexley Bike Plan Steering Committee since 2019 and uses cycling as a primary means of transportation. Craig holds a bachelor's degree in sociology from Wake Forest University and is currently employed as a user experience designer. He is a member of a local collective called Safe Routes Bexley, which promotes traffic calming and transit alternatives. Stephanie Passamonte is a transit and mobility advocate living in Columbus, Ohio. Their work is informed by their lived experience in cities and small towns across the country. After immigrating from the Philippines in the early 90s, Stephanie and their family have largely depended on public transportation to get around. Their primary focus is on increasing mobility options as a means of achieving racial and economic equity and building sustainable communities in the era of climate change. Stephanie is the Vice Chair of Transit Columbus and a volunteer transit organizer with the Ohio Sierra Club. Last week, I attended the Bexley City Council meeting. There was a presentation of two redevelopment options for Drexel Avenue, which is Bexley's main artery from Broad Street to Main Street, which is Bexley's civic, business, and university district. Plan B included a designated bike lane. Plan A did not. As a resident, a city biker, and an environmental advocate, I went to the council meeting to learn, and I left the meeting realizing that changing infrastructure is complicated, controversial, and galvanizing. So let's look at this more deeply. Craig, can you tell us about your involvement with this Bexley Bike Initiative? Sure. So a few years ago, I was invited by the mayor to take part in a bike plan steering committee. So a group of us met on a regular basis, did workshops, met with transit advocates and from some bike planners. Uh, and we mapped out some recommendations for how biking be could become uh, more friendly in Bexley. And one of the main things that we heard from residents in our workshops is I would like to use my bike more as a means of transportation, but I have a real or perceived idea that there's it's dangerous to do so. So these people that we spoke to wanted more uh, safety measures in place before they would feel comfortable biking. Um, so as a result of that, when the Drexel Avenue Improvement Plan came onto the city council agenda, uh, I met with the mayor and some others about including a dedicated bike lane as part of that. Uh, the bike plan that we already had established recommended a bike, uh, dedicated bike lane on that avenue. And since they're already doing some infrastructure improvements to that street and talking about how those should look. We wanted to couple those together. Uh, so that conversation came to city council at the same time uh, as a potential way to accommodate both a bike lane as well as street improvements. Excellent. All right. How about you, Stephanie? What so, are you working on right now? So I actually work um, with Craig on some e transit improvements uh, in Bexley that we're, we're starting to see. 
um, through the Link Us program and others, but I also work throughout the Columbus area as an advocate for all alternative forms of transportation. Um, that includes biking, it includes walking, it includes um, public transportation, just taking the CODA and potentially um, other mobility options as well. Um, so in addition to helping support initiatives like the one in Bexley, we're also helping support the city in initiatives like uh, the somewhat controversial bike lanes up on Indianola Avenue that are happening right now. Can you tell us a little bit about this bike lane up in Indianola? Yeah, so I think, you know, understandably, the city is trying to uh, make Columbus a safer place for pedestrians, for cyclists, uh, even for motorists. And one thing that we've seen all across the country, all around the world, um, is infrastructure improvements is the most effective way to do that. Um, obviously, right now, we're also experiencing the effects of climate change. And one of the things that the city wants to do is reduce people's car usage as much as humanly possible. So as a result of this, they did a study on Indianola Avenue um, to see if they could implement what we call complete streets program. Um, and if you Google complete streets, this isn't something that's just a Columbus thing. It's uh, something that's happening across the country. Again, in order to center our streets in our neighborhoods and communities around people rather than vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, what has made the, uh, the project on Indianola Avenue controversial and what often makes these pro projects controversial is the removal of parking spaces mm -hmm. um, in order to accommodate things like bike lanes or widened sidewalks or things of that nature. So I think a common worry among business owners, and one that I absolutely understand, is the idea that if you remove parking from in front of the business, it may mean that fewer people actually come to the business. Um, luckily, one thing that we've seen again and again in nearly every study that has been done on this is that removing parking and replacing it with bike lanes or bus lanes, for example, actually has almost no economic impact on those businesses. And in fact, if it does have an impact, it's usually positive. Um, this is something that we're trying to help educate the public on, not only because we want to make sure that those businesses are, are bought into the shift from car-centered communities to people-centered communities, but also just because that's, that's the truth. Um, and so if you think about it, kind of outside of the context of bike lanes. Think about the last time you went to Kroger or the last time you went to Target. You know, if you're, if you arrive in the parking lot and you can't get that first spot right next to the door, you don't usually leave and decide, well, I'm just not gonna ever go to Kroger or Target. You park a little farther away and you walk. And that's what people do when there's removal of parking spaces in front of businesses as well. Let's um, go back to the Bexley situation because that the, the biggest want, it seemed like, the, of the group that was there, and it was a very vocal group that was in opposition of a dedicated bike lane, was safety. They were very, very concerned about safety because um, Drexel Avenue is wide, a very wide lane and um, boulevard. It's also the main artery into downtown. And a lot of folks did not want to give up any parking spots. Craig. Can you explain what a dedicated bike lane is and why your group chose to do the bike lane on the 
on the right-hand side or going from broad to main, which is the west side. Can you explain what a dedicated bike lane is? Because a lot of people don't know what that means. Sure. So if you want to improve bike infrastructure, there is a continuum of measures you could take. Right now in Bexley, we don't have any markings of any sort to designate that bikes are acceptable on streets. All the signage is for for cars. Mm. So at a minimum level, what you can do is you can put paint on the road, add some arrows and sharrows to say bikes are something that you're going to share this road with if you're in a car. So that's at a minimum level. Um, But those in general are are not as safe for certain roads, especially ones with high speed like Drexel, which is 35 miles an hour. Um, So as you go up the continuum, if you want to make things safer for all people who use the road, cars, bikes, and pedestrians, if you add some sort of barrier and make it a dedicated lane, that is something that narrows the roadway so that part of it can be used by a bike, part of it could be used by a car, and they will have almost no chance or less of a chance of getting in each other's way. So it could be done through anything from planters to like permanent pylons. There's certain cities that have raised bike lanes um, so that the car won't go up onto, it's almost like a mini curb. Uh, And so a dedicated bike lane is something that separates bikes from the rest of the street and the rest of the traffic. Okay, because I ride my bike down to the state house. And I usually go down, I go just back roads, I cut over where Franklin Park is. And then I go down Oak Street or it turns into Oak. Uh, it, it, it kind of like goes crisscross a little bit. But long story short, it has those icons of bikes on it. But I don't feel completely safe. I feel like, yeah, I am vulnerable. I have to make sure that there's no crazy folks driving up you know, behind me because, you know, a lot of. A lot of central Ohio drivers don't think about bike riders and they just don't see them sometimes. So this dedicated bike lane in your imagination, in your group imagination, what would it have looked like in Bexley? Yeah, the the people who were considering different plans didn't designate what the separation would be implemented as. So we still need to explore that. I think that there's ways to make them aesthetically pleasing, which I know was something that the residents were really in favor for, and I am as well. And so I I don't have an answer about exactly what infrastructure would be put in to separate the bike lane. But I do know, you know, as you mentioned, there are sharrows on some of those bike boulevards in Old Town East. I know I have a friend who is a former manager of a bike shop who has probably more experience biking on city streets than anyone I know. And he was hit in that area, uh, even as an experienced cyclist. Um, so I think there is cause for concern, especially with more distracted driving, more reckless driving. The design of cars has become much more dangerous. The hood heights is much are, are much taller. More people have things on the front like bull bars uh, that cause more damage to people when you strike them. And as a cyclist or a pedestrian, all those things concern me. How about you, Stephanie, in that vein? Is the designated lane also separated? I've seen lanes in campus area where there's actually a bike lane. And then they're parking outside of the bike lane. Do you right. know what I'm saying? So there's a buffer from the for parking. 
Yeah. So, so b- before I get into what bike lanes could look like, I'm going to step back a little bit and, and talk about why separation and even protection between bike lanes and car lanes is important. So I think that there's a tendency in our society to try to blame individuals for these crashes that happen between um, car users and pedestrians and things like that, saying, well, if, you know, if only the cyclist was wearing brighter colors, you know, if only the car driver was paying more attention. Um, And the reality of it is you have situations where people are wearing reflective gear and doing everything they can to be safe. And and it's just not going to work out 100% of the time, even when people are paying attention. And a lot of the time they're not. So what creating this infrastructure does is it actually takes the burden off of the individuals, both the the cyclists and the drivers themselves, because it's a traumatic experience, obviously, as a cyclist to be hit by a car, but imagine also being a driver, like that's not something that you want to go through. So creating the actual physical barrier um, is going to prevent those types of collisions from happening. And so for the bike lanes themselves, um, a lot of what you what you had talked about on, on Oak Street um, and what Craig has alluded to is something called a Shero, where you just have that icon of a bike in the middle of what is otherwise a normal car lane. And that is the sort of bottom of the barrel that you can have for bike infrastructure. Um, and what people need to understand is that there are going to be bikes on the road no matter what. You know, one in 10 households in Columbus does not have access to a working car. And so inevitably, you're going to have people who are riding on the road out of necessity, if not, you know, because they're exercising or because that's just the way they prefer to get around. So when you separate those two, there are a couple of different layers that you can that you can choose. One is, like Craig said, just having paint on the road and saying, okay, one part of this is going to be for cars, one is going to be for bikes. But that still doesn't create quite the physical barrier that is going to keep people safe. What ideally we would see is what we call a protected bike lane. And you can, and you can have a protected bike lane in a number of ways. Um, you know, the, the things that you saw on campus where parking can separate the road and the bike lane is one option. Um, you can have what are called bollards, which are just cement pillars that can block cars from veering into those bike lanes. You can have full-on walls and other types of barriers. And if a city wanted to stand up a bike lane in a short amount of time, you could even have traffic barrels. You know, again, it's it's not going to completely protect a cyclist from if a car does veer over, but it at least creates a visual barrier that is there that is harder to ignore. How do we help move these bike lanes, these protected bike lanes into reality? How can we win over recalcitrant residents who are afraid of losing their, their parking spot or their, you know, just the way things have been? How can we do that? Um, let's start with you, Craig. You mean besides going on Grassroot Ohio? Bah, yeah, getting the word out. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I lose sleep about this. Uh, so I think about it a lot. And I think that there are ways to, to share what biking can be. There are some programs that you've probably seen in some other cities. Uh, in San Francisco, it's called Sunday Streets, where there are times when streets are closed down to traffic 
and you turn them into a space that's more appropriate for people to enjoy themselves. So sometimes I think that wakes people up to alternate versions of the street because there's this misconception sometimes that cars are for are primarily for motor vehicles. And I think introducing the idea that you could take some of that space and reclaim it for people, for exercise, for pedestrians, for cyclists, et cetera, is, is one way that people can have a firsthand experience with that. I guess, you know, the other is some events like if you... Um, there's a bike to work day that happens in May. I don't know if it's across the country, but it used to happen in San Francisco in May, uh, which is the last place I lived. And that was a place for people to sort of test waters to say, well, what would it be like if I took a bike trip for three miles, which is actually one of the, the majority of car trips are three miles or, or less in our country, or at least half of them are. And that's a very ideal biking distance. Uh, so it's something that people could use as a way to, to to test the waters there. And also, our city is very flat, which also raises the bikeability of it. So I think there are some ways that people can experience what it's like. And then we could take those opportunities to test out something that's more permanent. Like like Stephanie said, there are ways to do this infrastructure in a very cheap way or something that's uh, at least temporary to try it out and then turn it into something more permanent because it often induces demand once you set it up. This is Carolyn Harding with Grassroot Ohio. And today I'm talking with Stephanie Passamonte and Craig Ness. They're both urban and suburban bike advocates here in Columbus Metro. I would like, I love that idea. And I think that's very, I think the almost like try it on day or try it on month. And, and maybe even the, like you say, the, the cones. So folks don't feel like, oh, they're coming in and they're taking my property and changing my life. I also know that in Bexley, the mayor and the city council are very pro-bike. So I'm sure that there's going to be some kind of bike plan. And um, as a resident of Bexley, Drexel is like the showcase. It's the widest. It's also the speediest. And that's why folks want it to be slowed down. But I feel like if we could do a bike lane on Drexel, it's very much shows that we are, we stand for sustainable transit. We stand for more than just, you know, speeding into into our house and speeding out in our cars. So if we could do that in a way that would, that the residents can live with and be happy with and grow to learn about and that um, sustainability is elevated, that would be an awesome win-win. So Stephanie, what kind of tactics have you used to to win over recalcitrant or people that are not sure they want to move forward? Yeah, of course. Um, I think that one of the biggest things, and this kind of builds off of what Craig was saying, is just making it really easy for people to do. Um, Because Everyone I know who is sort of a bike enthusiast or who loves to ride their bike, which is everyone I know that has has uh, has started riding their bike, was always hesitant at first. Um, to your point earlier, Carolyn, sometimes it's about safety, um, which is a very real concern. Other times, it's just uh, the idea that you know going on a grocery store trip is really difficult without a car or something like that. Um, So what we've done and what we try to do is just making is, is make riding a bike really accessible to people. 
And you do that in a number of ways. You can have events, like Craig said, where you can make an area more bike accessible for a day or a weekend. Um, you can go on group rides, which I know are, are really popular and, you know, even including children who are riding their bikes all over the place and teaching them kind of safety and things like that. There are infrastructural changes, obviously, that we're working on through both the city of Bexley, the city of Columbus and in the metro area. And then there are new technologies that are really helping people get out and about on bikes, too. Um, I know that e-bikes are hugely popular now and the demand for them is growing. And I know that, you know, maybe some traditional bike folks think of e-bikes as, you know, you're kind of you're cheating or something. It's not as much exercise but especially if most of your trips are under three miles, an e-bike can be a great replacement for a car. Um, you have cargo bikes that make carrying children and pets and groceries a whole lot easier. You're not breaking into a sweat on your way to work. Um, and it gets you out and it gets you active um, in ways that being stuck in a car really just is not. So getting more people involved, getting more people on bikes, you know, it doesn't have to be every day of the week, even it could be a couple of times. And the more we can sort of wean people's dependency on cars, the more likely it is that those folks are going to be coming out and advocating as well. Okay, so what are some of the cities in the US and, and internationally that you would love to aspire um, Central Ohio towards that are doing a good job? Stephanie? So I think internationally, one really interesting city to look at is actually Paris. And I know a lot of people say, you know, Columbus is a city that's built around cars. It's, you know, it could never be New York. It could never be Tokyo. Um, if you look at Paris uh, in the past couple of years, the way that the city itself has prioritized uh, non-car forms of transport has been really incredible. They have built out, you know, Paris has become a bike city basically overnight, you know, akin to something like Amsterdam, where people, where they were in cars before, are now suddenly taking bike trips everywhere. And that has been a result of really just the city saying, okay, we're going to create these bike lanes. We're going to narrow the streets. We're going to slow the speed limits. We're going to make the sidewalks, you know, more usable for pedestrians. We're going to get people out of their cars. They've been hugely, hugely successful there. Again, obviously, we're not Paris. We're central Ohio. Um, but all of the things that Paris has done and are, are things that we've seen successful in other cities around our country um, and not just Portland or San Francisco, but even places like Minneapolis and Indianapolis have implemented these complete streets programs and, you know, created bike lanes and protected bike lanes and really invested in their, their public transportation infrastructure so that maybe when the weather is not as great, you know, you don't have to revert back to a car, but you can take a BRT or a light rail or, or something of that nature. So the, the great thing for us is that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We have so many other cities that we can look to, including cities right near us for ideas and for implementation. Um, all we have to do is do it, basically. Craig, how about you? Are there any cities that you feel like are really getting it 
right? And you'd like to, you know, take some of those innovations and bring it to Columbus and make it happen. For sure. I'd say Barcelona is one of them. If you look up this concept called a super block, they take small sections of a neighborhood, they prioritize people, they slow down traffic and devote some of that space to either bikes or urban parks. And there's been some beautiful images that I've seen from that that inspire me. There's also some people there that have formed these things. Stephanie, maybe you know what they're called. I think they're called bicycle buses. Uh, for, for going to school, sometimes people will self-organize in a group of, let's say, 15 to 20 people with parents and children that all want to bike to school at the same time, but they want to feel safe. So there is safety in numbers when you have larger groups together that are biking And so sometimes they have these self-organized, I believe they're called bicycle buses, where they all bike at the same time uh, and they take up space in the lane so that they have high visibility. uh, And there's sort of this uh, pack of of people that are biking together, which is is, is great to see. Uh, Domestically, I've seen a lot of progress in the cities that Stevie has mentioned, and all of them, including Portland, are not ones that had this. They haven't always had this. I mean, even Portland, they had to make the decision to commit to this. And I know that we could do that too. It just takes some some time and it might take some rethinking of things. But I think overall, even though I know I'm biased on this, what I have seen is that when there's been resistance to something, but if it's still gone through in terms of bike infrastructure, oftentimes the results when, when people see it is they couldn't imagine their streets without it. And a lot of the businesses have buy into it because there's more people visiting them uh, and the people that use it. Once you get a chance to try it. I wish you could bottle up that feeling because it's really hard to explain verbally. But once you try biking as an alternative means of transportation, it is, it's super addictive and it's probably the best thing that you could get addicted to. I tell you, um, when I ride my bike downtown, I have a leisure kind of almost like a beachcomber bike, you know, with wide handlebars and I have baskets. I feel like a kid again. I feel like this is my city I yep. can ride my bike down here and I feel connected. I don't feel like I'm in this little isolated pod. And it's really, uh, it takes a little longer. I get exercise. I can park easy the, at parking spots. I mean, uh, bikes, bike racks. So I think it's, and I think the safety aspect and having a designated lane would be huge for a lot of people, for families that have kids or older folks like, I think there would be people that would get those tricycle bikes because they would feel like, okay, I'm safe going there in on this lane. It's because like when we do the bike lanes down on along the rivers, that feels safe. But in, in the cities, Columbus Metro needs to start going forward. So we have just uh, one more comment and then we have to wrap. But um what would you like to leave with our listeners today? Let's start with you, Stephanie, and we have 30 seconds. I think just the biggest thing I would like to leave with with anybody is go out and get on a bike. If you don't have a bike, you can use one of the city's Kogo bikes. You can borrow a bike from a friend. You can get one relatively cheap from many of the bike stores around here that do um, used and secondhand bikes. If not, if not for yourself, just to understand what a deck actually is that we're talking about here in terms of safety, in terms of the experience, and also just in terms of that feeling that that you were talking about, Carolyn, of really being out there and being in your community, in your city, right there on the ground. All right. And Craig? I definitely second and third that notion that riding a bike is just this exhilarating feeling. It's 
changed my life significantly. And I want to share that with others. And I also, I think I would ask people to take a look at car culture and what the total cost of counting of that is. Uh, I don't think we can and should live in a world that has no cars, but I think we could have a better balance of it. And I think that's all we're asking for. All right. And your website is? I am part of a group called Safe Roots Bexley, which has a Facebook page. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And let's all get on our bikes. You're here. All right. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroot Ohio now airs on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org and at 4 p.m. in Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia on WEJPLP 107.1 FM. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.